Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Thomas, the founder and CTO at Chaos Search, and we discuss their mind-blowing innovation in data storage and search, how constraints can breed creativity, and why data is cheap, but information is expensive. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I tell you the moment that I fell in love with you <laughs> or the company. It, I was reading your blog and you had, there was this line in one of your blog posts that said uh, chaos search, right? Was derived from an exercise of first principles. Personally, I am a huge fan of first principles. The moment I heard Elon Musk describe it in some interview I was watching with him, I put it in my phone as a recurring event to come up every three months for the rest of my life because it's just something you always have to go back to. I love it. I love it. You know, and, and, you know, I'm to be frank, I'm an inventor, right? So if you don't follow your first principles, you'll get lost. Right. And so you, you, you think about what you want to do, come up with some of those basic constructs, those axioms and say, okay, I think this is right. Let's go for it. And both building the team, the product, you know, the mathematics, right. is always, does it fit within that viewpoint? If it doesn't, it's probably wrong, right? And to your point, I think Elon obviously is a unique individual where he thinks outside the box. And I think those first principles help him really keep a, a North Star, right? Um, on where he's trying to go. And so, yeah, thank you. I, 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 I believe in it as well. I'm obviously not the venture of first principles, but I'm definitely a follower. Yeah, I like, I like those concepts. I find that um, at first, I was collecting a bunch of these concepts when I was getting excited about learning and having more self-awareness in my late 20s. And then I found that there was a lot of value in just taking a handful of them and consistently revisiting them rather than a constant stream of, of new ones. And so I took that approach. And so I was like layering down on the first principles and then a couple other ones. And I'm finding that there's a, there's a nice advantage to having a depth of experience with one of these concepts. You, you, it, it's so funny that you say that because I 100% follow a similar path. I'm, maybe I'm a little older, but you know, one of my first principles is when I see a problem, I invert it. It's the first thing I ever do. So if everyone's going that way, I just look the other direction and see what I see. It's so basic. And so any new thought or new invention, and when I say new, new can be relative, right? Um, but everyone's always looking that way. If you look behind you, it's amazing what you see. And so whenever I see a problem, I say, okay, they're doing it that way. Those problems have been solved that way. Just turn around. What, 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 what do you see? And that's one of those first principles of solving problems that I jump into. And you'd be amazed just saying, well, okay, that's fine. But what if I did it just the opposite way? And I was, I was saying 100% of the time, but it works more often than not. It's just such an amazing thing. Massively useful tactic. Like I, I found, I think we just became best friends because you know how you, you think a certain way and it's like, you've, you've been a certain way for a certain length of time and you're aware, okay, I've been like this for this amount of time. And then you meet someone and I rarely meet other people. I don't think I've ever met anyone else who's described that to me. And I do that constantly. I don't know why I do it, but I just, maybe I had success with it the first couple of times, but I always say, um, problems are just solutions that haven't been converted yet, which is you know, similar to like, look at the inverse. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm a computer science nerd. I'm a mathematical nerd, I guess. Uh, I love information theory. And, you know, there's a thing in art where they try to change their perspective to, to see the information differently. And I can't remember what the technique is, but that essence is what you're trying to do is look at the problem in a different perspective, a different light, and hopefully insights or, or something, the awakening of going, ah, I see something here that I didn't see before. You know, how often do you maybe write a paper and then you can't seem to change it, but you walk away for a day, you reread it, and it comes back to life. I mean, to your point, you practice this. You practice those techniques so that you have a new eye. There's a term, having an eye on information or on a problem that as you tweak it, as you turn it, if you can really see a different perspective, those problems get easier. And that's something that I, I personally, to your point, I didn't know I was doing that when I was younger. 
but there's little things that I started picking up these techniques that when I got older, I heard people say things like uh, Elon Musk and you're like, wait, that's what I do. Ah, okay. And then hopefully you teach other people those exact same things. You know, um, I love to write one of those like, you know, uh, for dummy books, right? And how to have a, a new eye on, on solving problems because, you know, the idea that with, with chaos surgeon, we can get into it was one of those exercises where, you know, having years of building big distributed systems coming from telecom to distributed OSs to ultimately information and information at scale or big data, why can't we scale more? Why are these so much pain and cost and complexity? And the easy thing I did says, well, let's throw it all away. You know, it sounds so simple, right, to, to say that, but you'd be amazed, or at least I'm amazed, how often people stick with what they know and try to patch, try to rework. You know, a lot of the database technology that's out there is 30 years old. Now we repurpose it, we move it around, maybe we have faster computers, faster networks, but it's still the same technology. And so at Chaos, I said, I know the limits. Now let's change it. Let's try to rethink those limits or just throw it all away. And so I, I really appreciate uh, uh, that feedback because uh, I, I hope this for all people, right? Hopefully someone listens to this, uh, this uh, podcast and, uh, and says, you know what? Let me try it. Let me try that technique. I think everyone's probably really interested to know what chaos search is now. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about it. They're like we love the first principles. Like what, what is chaos search? So chaos search at a high level, uh, if, if folks out there know big data or cloud or data analytics, information is now driver force, the fuel that drives the information economy. Data is getting bigger. Um, problems are being uh, solved with existing technology. So with chaos, I said, I have an idea. What if I change how information is stored? What if I change where information is stored? What if I change how information is searched? What if I change how information is compressed, meaning shrunk? And the idea behind chaos search was a new invention, a new technology that I created a really a, a, a file format that represents information that can uniquely be leveraged in this term called cloud object storage where all this data is being put in today. You know, so Amazon has a, their first search, Amazon, you know, we think of Amazon, think of a book company, right? Well, now it's a cloud company and their first service was cloud storage. The, the awakening that they had of saying, I know we're a book company. I know that we have really good scaling uh, uh, backstore. Why don't we make this as a service and make it offering to the company or to the companies? And so the idea behind KS Search was transform that cloud storage into a new type of database using this unique technology and opening up access to information. So business operations, business intelligence, all at great scale becomes costly, complicated, and with a chaos service, we connect to your cloud storage and unlock those that analytics. Let's bring it, let's bring it down a little bit closer to home. Like I read you had a HubSpot case study. So you guys worked with th those people over there. Uh, great people, by the way. I know some of the, the original people that have since left and yeah. gone on to do other things like uh, Elias Torres built Drift after, after leaving yeah. HubSpot. But um, what did you do? Like, what's the value? Like, how did you help them? No, great. And so they are a success story right here in Boston. Um, they had unique perspective um, on how they want to deliver uh, marketing and websites to customers. And their company is run by information. Customers come into the solution and behind the scenes, logs are generated. And those logs are the operational lifeblood of how that, uh, that business runs. And they were running this uh, software stack called Elk or Elastic Stack. And Elk is a tool or, or a service that allows them to debug what's going on in their company from an operational perspective. So for instance, they offer websites for companies to host their, their domains. And as a denial of a service attack comes in, they need to know what's going on. And they use the Elk stack to figure out, hey, what IP address is causing a problem to ultimately turn that IP address off. 
and other things that they do in operational. And so they were running the Elk stack manually because of the cost prohibitive nature of using some more expensive hosted solution. But when they say cost effective, when you're spending millions of dollars for one use case on logs, you know there's a problem and the data is getting bigger. So last year for this one use case, this Cloudflare data, the CDN data set, uh, every year, every six months, it was doing another five terabytes of growth per day. So it started out when we first started talking to it at five terabytes a day, then it went to 10, now it's at 15 and growing. So it's growing because they're success. Those customers that they offering a solution to are growing, great. However, when you're, one use case of log analysis is 1 million, then becomes 2 million, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can see that there's a wall that it becomes unattainable. So what happens, companies shrink the amount of data that they can analyze to keep those costs down. And so they reached out to us. They said, hey, I hear that Chaos Search transforms, because they're already using object storage S3 for all their log storage, transform their storage into an elk like solution to provide log analytics. And that's exactly what we did. We came in, they ran our service on their uh, S3 storage and did the exact same use case of denial of service attack, for instance. And instead of spending, you know, millions of dollars, um, you know, per year, now it's in the hundreds of thousands. So, you know, that's a dramatic cost saving, but a couple things that happen. Now they don't have full-time engineers trying to keep the Elk stack running. Not only is it expensive to run at scale, but it falls over a lot. It's a known problem. Um, and the other aspect is we can grow the retention. So now they just don't store, you know, five days of retention. They can do two weeks, a month, 90 days. And the ability to know what's going on, not just immediately, but over time, is a key aspect that they need in their service. So, and they're adding more workloads. You know, first it's Cloudflare, then it's Nginx. You know, you can imagine, with our service, you enable a data lake philosophy because we've merged cloud storage with analytics. So you just stream your data into cloud storage and our service takes it up and provides analytical APIs via the Elk Stack compliant um, tooling. That is exciting. That is, you know, developers and logs, they just grow exponentially. And the fact that you can extract meaningful insights, it's more than just like denial of service. You can extract some actual like meaningful information from these these data lakes right absolutely and so that's the thing is there's so much information in the company whether it's operational logs business intelligence logs information drives companies and if you have a slow website or the website is down or you have some kind of service that's not working you need to know it immediately and then you do forensics on that data over time and data is getting so big you know, machine-generated data is out, outpacing Moore's law, meaning that it's so easy to generate information. It's so hard to search and find it cost-effectively. And so that's where chaos search comes in, and that's where the inventions behind the RIP has addressed those problems. I love it. What inspired the name? So you can imagine, you know, big data, entropy, chaos. So what if you could wrestle and search the chaos. And so the idea is that let your data be chaotic. Our service will come in, discover it, catalog it, index it to ultimately search and query. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I love information theory. I love chaos theory. I love entropy. Um, I like to, if you will, wrestle the ground uh, entropy and disorder. And so uh, that's kind of my life's work, to be frank. And so if I can make information small and make it accessible, um, it really helps out people like HubSpot where, think about it, terabytes is what you have, right? Where, think about terabyte. I think uh, IDC said in 2025, there's gonna be 175 zettabytes of data being generated. Google zettabyte, when you see how big that is, information is, when they say this information age now, it's just exponentially growing. And the technology, the science is still 30 years old. You know, from 1970s, these systems were not designed to handle, let alone a, a petabyte, maybe a gigabyte was big back then, right? So you can imagine what a zettabyte would look like. I did Google it. It's <laughs> a million petabytes. Yeah, yeah. 
that's insane the zeros is just unbelievable on the google search for that wow and so like here's a good question for you that i was thinking about earlier today okay so hypothetically right or well let's it doesn't have to be hypothetically did you see during the pandemic that the pentagon released the ufo videos officially that's very exciting for me um regardless of if they're aliens or not let's like they're still unidentified flying objects that are that they're observing let's pretend that they are aliens right uh and and they came to earth and then what what they do in in the atmosphere or whatever they look at uh they use our data like the volume of data we transfer as a way to understand where our maturity is as a civilization yeah. right just fun thought experiment right what do we like what do you think the most data transfer is like how would you go about like let's just explore off the top of your head like how would you go about figuring out a, a pie chart of the volume of data transfer and what type of data it is that we, well, that we generate that's a good question there's been a whole bunch of statistics right and it's you know, statistics are just that right they're statistics um you know uh, i come from telecom back in the day when i used to build these big mammoth gargantuan boxes that moved lots of data. So I've seen the pipes that, that get moved. Now the type of data, you know, there's some unique things on online where is it video? Is it, is it, it used to be telephone, right? Usually telephone information. But now it's machine generated information where all these devices, IOT, it just, there's so much content being generated and there's a value in that, that data. So when the aliens look at us, they go, huh, that's an interesting app. Why is TikTok so popular? <laughs> you know, I think they're judging us for, uh, for that just alone, the video and, and time where they spend a lot of money and time on, on that. Uh, so maybe we're not ready to uh, take it to the next level. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's human, it's human uh, experience. We're driving the need to develop those applications, those devices. So I would say, you know, the majority of data is new data that um, is app device driven. But then again, you have some old school scenarios where, you know, if you're trying to crack an atom, you know, within, within a second, you're generating you know, hundred terabytes. So um, I would say the data, it's just, it's always been generating. Now we can capture it back to the Moore's law with Moore's law. Now we can store more data than we ever could before. Right. And so now, we think we can utilize that data today. And that's where chaos search comes in was, okay, we know we can generate it. We know we can store it. Now, how do we access it? And that's where we come in. That, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna improve that question over time. That was actually, just thought about it for the first time. Um, like last night as I was falling asleep and I wrote it down real quick in my Evernote. And then I woke up this morning and you know, refined it a little bit, but I, I wanna, I want to ask a good question around that. I want to like take your response and then like improve the question further and let that evolve because uh, I just think it's a, I think it's a fun one. Well, I mean, information is power. We've heard this, you know, knowledge is power. Um, you know, the, the question is, um, is, is what's, what's the problem? Is it the inability to generate? I like to say this, this is a, another thing that I've written about is data is cheap. Information is expensive. What I mean by that, it's so easy to generate data. It's now relatively easy to store data, but data is just that. It has no context, it has no value. When you create meaning out of data, it becomes information and information can be utilized. Let's say COVID, right? Where let's say we had all the information of how it was spreading as it was spreading in real time. We would know a lot more about what we should have done prior to you know, uh, what we decided to do as we saw, you know, more of a reflection of what we should do. So, you know, for, for me, the, the ability to, to analyze data at scale really changes all our lives. And so, you know, I'm assuming those aliens have, have mastered information, right? Whether it's time travel or, you know, because if, if, you, if you ask uh, Hawkins, right, you know, black holes and entropy and information, it's all the same. Energy information is one and the same. I think we master information. We master energy, solve world hunger and the energy problem. I hope. I'm looking forward to it. And that's, that was actually one of the, th- I can never remember the name. It's like the Kardashian scale or the, whatever, the K scale is what yeah. I say in my head. Yeah. Um, but cause they, they measure it. 
uh, maturity of civilization based off of energy uh, consumption or manipulation. And I was I was wondering if there's a a, a more micro way because he has giant leaps. And I was wondering if there's more micro way because I would I think it'd be interesting to see a graph of like how much it, like if we saw a graph of of humanity's attention and where it's placed. I think that'd be a really interesting uh, visualization. No, you're you're absolutely right, and uh, I do believe what you were saying. Where I do believe energy information have a relationship, and you know, I would argue if you solve either one of those, you solve the other. Um, you know, I'm always worried about what I if I could see everything, um, what I would see all us doing with all this power of information. Where you know, half the time, you know, people are playing on the games or doing TikTok. Uh, Versus, you know, for me, solving really unique, hard problems. Uh, I, I hope that it's 50-50 at least of uh, just fun versus value. Um, but, not, you know, I think sometimes not, you see, <laughs> under the hood of, uh, the aliens are saying, oh, they're not ready. They're not ready. They need to come to cook. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a reasonable um, assumption, too, like, they would just come down and they'd see, you know, everything at once and just know whether or not we're at a point where uh, we're ready to interact. One thing I am curious about uh, quantum computing and specifically because I have been researching it quite heavily over the past couple of weeks. And I, and you're very smart, your math. And one of the first quantum algorithms ever made was for search, like a very basic search. You could, that's the closest analogy you could say to it. Not not like a full blown search. Um, now, have you looked at quantum computing at all? So I have. Um, so I, I would like to say, if I wasn't a computer scientist, I'd be a physics major. Um, at the time, I didn't know how to make a career out of that. So I, I love uh, you know uh, you know whether it's uh, you know, quantum mechanics or quantum computing. You know, what's interesting to me is you know how does it manifest into using it. Right? Does it act like a computer today? Do I have to have higher expertise in utilizing the parallelism or the multidimensionality of an algorithm? Right? Coding can be hard. When it becomes distributed, it becomes even harder. When it becomes multidimensional, it becomes yet even harder. So, you know, there's going to be some great languages that will have to come out um, and some really intelligent people to make quantum computing almost as easy as let's call it Python, which is a popular language these days. Um, I'm excited for it because you can imagine the ability to have that type of analytical execution at a fingertip. You know, the fear is right. You know, all these algorithms for security can be broken instantaneously because you can crack a code because you can put on that much compute into an exercise. So uh, I'm excited about what one would build with that type of execution power. Um, I always, this goes back to the inverted thinking. If you could, what would you see? And so, you know, I haven't put any thought into it, although you mentioned that you've been studying it. I haven't put any thought into what would I build if I could? What would we, what would we do? Um, I'm not sure, but now that I'm intrigued, I, I might just go spend a few, few weekends thinking it through. I'll give you my like 30 second overview of what I found. And my background is software engineering. Um, and so I was looking for, you know, it to be at that level of like, let's do business things and logic and speak to it in English and not, not machine language. It's, it's early. I'd say it's analogous to the computers being the size of a room, right? Where they're doing some very basic things, but yet there's still a quantum API you could plug into today and, and run some quantum code on. I actually did this basic 10 minute tutorial with like a, a six sided dice roller um, that was actually processed like on, on a quantum API, but it, it seems like it's really close. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's ha it's like close to what, right. To what point in time. But if you, there, it's evolving, there's money there. It is a market. There are people that are writing APIs for Python and, uh, making it more accessible every day. You know, the top uh, companies have all been, you know, doubling the number of qubits they could have and, and competing against that. You know, there's a, a press release from Amazon and then Microsoft and then IBM. And then out of nowhere, a couple of weeks ago, we saw one from um, Honeywell. And they're like, yeah, we just created the fastest quantum 
quantum computing system. And so I, I actually got to talk to the, the head of that project, Tony, and like get really detailed in on where the state of things are. And I would say, like after all of the content I've consumed, including courses on like linear algebra to better understand quantum mechanics, um, of everything I consumed, I would say it is worth taking a person or two that you trust uh, that's intelligent and having them do some quick uh, project of like, hey, put put together a timeline of when quantum computing will be relevant to us and when we could when we could start playing with it. Because I think the people who who play with it now are will still be like right on the edge of early. Like they're not exactly early, but they're right on the edge. And I think now is a good time for people to just explore. You know, it's funny, like so I work on, you know, algorithms. I, I think about information all the time. And if I had that type of compute, what would I do differently? Right. These are things that I think about where could you really crack random, right? Could you could you, you know, crack you know, distributed hashes. Can you crack all those things where, you know, maybe you come up with a different data representation for databases, right, from chaos? Because, um, you know, in the end, whatever you choose to do has a time vector, right? You know, so I like to say, if I can make information zero, I make time zero. But if I can make time zero, I make information zero. And so with quantum computing, you're getting time close to zero. Wow, right? Think about what you could do with information when it becomes um, that quick. I, it's it's beautiful. It's brilliant. I love it. I'm so fascinated by it. I'm I'm grateful to be alive, like during this time because you know people who were alive maybe during the computer time, maybe they didn't have an analogy to like know exactly what would the possibility of the computer systems were. But now we can see it's the future and jump in there and uh, be a part of it. I don't know, I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, no, absolutely. Like I said, I have, uh, I have uh, about 10 important problems I want to solve if I had access to a computer like that. Uh, I'm sure I was, I typically choose uh, Saturday mornings, uh, fully awake, fully caffeinated, and then, and then let my mind wander. So uh, if I had access to one of those, maybe uh, um, I'd have a little bit of fun. Thinking. Yeah, my, my problem number one on that list would be not having infinite money. <laughs> quantum computer solves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So you uh, you got inducted into the Hall of Fame for University of New Hampshire. How? I think it's fantastic, but I'm cu- I'm really curious. Like, what was it actually like? They call you up one day. Hey, we're inducting you into the Hall of Fame. Like, how did that happen? Well, so it, it came as a surprise, to be frank, right? So you go to school because you love or you have a passion for something, and I had a passion for computer science, for mathematics, solving those type of problems. I never thought I'd be a startup person, a person that invents things to build companies, to ultimately sell companies to do it again. Never, to be an entrepreneur, I didn't even understand that. And now people take classes on it, right? How to be an entrepreneur, how to be a So for me, I just wanted to have fun and invent and create. But the problem was I did it a few times successfully and, uh, UNH has this, you know, Hall of Fame for entrepreneurs, and uh, uh, they called me up. They said, "Good news, um, we've uh, nominated you to be uh, one of the candidates. Um, what do you think?" I'm like, "Cool," and then uh, then I won, and so it, it's it's kind of surreal, and I'm, I'm proud, proud of it to be frank, because you know, like any university, you know, to be nominated to be a Hall of Fame is something to be you know, humbled about, but it was all accidental to be real frank. I never set out like, oh, I wanna be an entrepreneur or, or solve these type of problems. I just love it. You know, I won't tell my investors or, or anybody, but I do it for free. I would do it for free, you know? And it's, it's, I think if you love it, that's why you're successful at it. And uh, if you spend enough time you know, like was it the outliers, you know, 10,000 hours, you know, you, you, I believe in that term, you just commit to it and uh, good things come out of it. Thank you. I love that too, because I read a lot of those books, the, the outliers and grit and all of these things and wanting to understand the, 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 oh, find your passion type deal. And what I realized, the conclusion I came to after consuming all of that content was, um, 
you find something, you stick with it, you gain some skill at it, you persist through the difficult moments and you just keep building and building and building and you just don't quit. And then you'll develop this relationship with the topic or the skill and it'll just become more and more a part of you. And, you know, everything's difficult. It's, it's amazing too, because I can back up and see like some people I know uh, and they'll just bounce from one thing to the next every you know, two or three months, like a new interest and they'll have no depth on any of them. And they're always just like, well, yeah, it's hard. Or, or I couldn't make money there or like whatever it was. And I'm, and I'm still looking for my passion. It wasn't what I, what I really want to do. I did. I lost, I lost passion after three months. Uh, hello. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, there's certain people that are built for this and I would say, I didn't know I was built for this, but I was where information learning is, 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 such a joyful thing you know that matrix you put that thing in your head and you just imply all that knowledge in your head I, I would love something like that that'd be fantastic and the journey is is being part of this discovery this joy and finding people along the journey with you that had exact same passion um you know so you know i've been successful but i've been with a team of people that hopefully i've inspired to join this journey and I've met people who just have that love, that passion to do anything. Like Elon Musk, think about it. He did PayPal, right? And then he did, you know, SpaceX. You think that they're so far apart, but they're really not. They're just, he had an idea and he drove to that idea. I believe in this term called momentum. It's not about your product idea. It's not about the market opportunity. It's about momentum. And I think if you're, if you, you have that joy, that love to consume and try and, and push, you create momentum and momentum moves more, adds more people. And ultimately at some point in time, something happens. Yes. I mean, I am a huge fan. I, I found that momentum is incredibly important and some people that are more magical than others because we get to work with a lot of people, right? So we get to, when you have a, and then the next thing that's important is I'm talking about right now, volume. So like if I were to go back future self, I'd be like, pay attention to, you know, volume, like everything you do, if you want to be successful, you're going to have to do like a hundred times more activity than you think. If you want to make a sale, you're gonna have to contact way more people than you think. But the beautiful thing is you've got numbers. Like if you do the volume, you will get a result. It will happen. All right, so let's say you go to university, you get a PhD in some computer science something, right? If you haven't touched it, if you haven't felt information, at least in my case, you're missing those insights. That 10,000 hours gives you experiences and your unconscious is working on that. And so as you go through and try to solve these problems, all that touching and feeling of the problem intimately really gives you that insight. So the 10,000 hours is not just practice. It's that intuitive nature of what you're working on that you can expand. And so if you look at anybody in, say, in science, they just say one day woke up and they say, I don't know, gravity with Newton. Newton was a crazy mathematical numbers doing charts and, and working out equations constantly, constantly, constantly because he just he wanted to practice what he was trying to discover. And the insight came from that exercise. So I would say any good entrepreneur is spending wonderful amount of time enjoying it hopefully while doing it and hopefully that that one moment where you go wait a second wait a second there's something here and that awakening you know to me what i love to do is like with ks search technology about five six years ago i had an awakening i saw something and what happened from that awakening was an insight that as i applied this awakening to problems you're like, there's another way of doing it. There's another way of doing it. And that goes back to those called full circle base principles, those core axioms that, that now you have an insight that when someone says in your office or on your team, how would I do this? doesn't make any sense. Use this core principle. It'll get you there. Cause if I will, the math should work. Um, and, uh, I think 10,000 hours or whatever the number is, is key to that success. Yeah, it's like if you to to expand upon your Elon Musk thing. If you look at him, uh, if you look at it like okay, you go PayPal, SpaceX, Solar City. That seems very you know, off distributed. But if you look at it like here is a human with a collection of principles, it's almost similar to 
um, music where you have a number of chords, but the song can be vastly different. And so, you know, when that's helped shape my perception of new team members, uh, who we want, like the culture in the organization, things like that. Uh, how how involved are you with the the company? I know you you're uh, you said at the beginning that you mainly see yourself as uh, like inventor. So what's what's your role like as as the CTO today? So as a startup person, right? You're you're everything. You're the janitor. You're the CFO. You know, but as you grow, you you get more you know specialized. Um, I would say I love building companies. I love building teams. So I'm kind of a hybrid where. I invent something. I see where I would apply this invention, identify the market, and then start reaching out to my colleagues that I've worked with in the past that I've sometimes mentored myself and say, I have an idea. I have a technology. I have a market opportunity. Would you join me in this journey? And over the last 25 years, I've collected, for lack of a term, a whole bunch of people that love working on terribly hard problems. And they always ask me, what's the next startup idea? What are we doing next? And they raise their hand and they say, let's go. So I think from day to day, um, I'm part team builder, part energy engineering manager. I still code, uh, although I, I know I need to grow out of that. Um, but the creation of the algorithm, creation of the idea was where my true joy was. But now we're in the execution phase of a company like ours where you've proved out the technology, you built the product. Now you're bringing it to the to the market, and I'm doing things like this, talking to people, interesting people like yourself, talking about our journey. So uh, um, it's the next phase of a company, but I can nerd out. I can be in a, a cubicle, sitting there for years on end, and just crunching uh, time on it. So I like both sides, and I guess now is the time to reach out and talk to people like yourself. Yeah, I like getting. I can get I can get myself excited about pretty much anything that like I I can I can find the positive I can find the problem find out how to make it unique and interesting just because I am not wired to sit there and be bored and do nothing like I that is the worst thing to me if I even if I had a basic data entry task I'd be doing the task and figuring out what's the one small thing I can improve today and and then over the course of the year it's going to turn into unbelievable but that's amazingness it. That's it. Any task you have, make it brilliant. Make it awesome. Rethink it. And if you see, to your point, if you see the world that way, where every idea is a challenge, uh, make it better. So whether you are conducting people to cross the street and you're, you know, you're a stop sign holder, be the best one possible. Um, yeah, I just, be the viral video person who like yeah. learns learns yeah. how to manipulate that environment incredibly well. And, and yeah. That's the joy. That's the joy of, of making things better, making things unique and different. And when I've met people, hopefully like you and myself, they are so happy all the time. You're like, whenever there's a problem, let's say there's an issue or complexity, I'm always like, good. We have something to work on now. Right? You know, there's no problem. I also, I'll, one of my philosophical core principles, there's no failure. Failure was just a learning moment to apply to whatever momentum you're trying to do. Failure is, I don't believe in failure because that was just an exercise of knowledge, you know, and there's no problem. It's just an exercise of a data point of knowledge to move whatever you're moving forward because a problem is your definition of what just happened. A failure is your definition of what just, you know. Yeah, it's subjective. Yeah. It's so subjective. And so you think about us putting people on the moon they were failures, but were they failures or were they learning? Was that part of the process, right? If you think about anything that happens, was that supposed to be understood? And if it was supposed to be understood, by definition, it's actually learning. It's not a problem or a failure. Preach. I love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> think about it. People at work are, we work on really hard stuff and we, I, I hire people out of school and they've never done hard like this. Everyone I, I hired, like, I thought I knew hard, but then this is hard. And if you let people have an open space of thought, right, where there's no time pressure, relatively speaking, um, but they're free to, to think through what you could do. My job is to ask questions, pause, let your unconscious, hopefully, 
speak. Because I find so often, just like you go to your teacher, you ask them a question about a problem, then as, as you're explaining it, you actually know the answer, right? I believe in that principle where the, the student or the employee actually has the answer. They have the knowledge at 10,000 hours, they have it. How do we pull it out? How do we bring it together so that your creative mind is, is, is gonna answer for us? And I think right now my job at, at Chaos is taking wonderfully talented people with wonderfully hard problems and, and working with them to solve them. Because everything that we do hasn't been done before. We're not using existing computer science technology. We're not doing it the old way. Every time we need to do something, it's gonna be new. And that's the fun. But you know, if we do it right, there's the value. Is that how you were able to get the cost down so much? Yeah, so think about it. So um, I like to have this, I'm actually come up with a new uh, uh, blog or article called The Multiplicities of Small. And that's where I came to start Chaos Search was, there was a couple of things that were going on with information. Back to, if I can make information zero, I make time zero, right? Well, I can't make time zero yet. I don't have a quantum computer. So I'm gonna go on the information side. So the idea is that if I can store information smaller than anybody else, I win. I store less, I move less, I process less. So I started with, not just I know I wanted to build a new database uh, system, I wanted to know how small I can make information. So I started with compression, meaning that what were the problems with compression? Why do compressions work on this and not on that? Why does it take so much CPU? Why does it take, uh, uh, it's quick, but it doesn't reduce enough. So what I went with was, let me work on a new way of representing information that can make information as small as possible. And so what I want off to do is, if you know database technology, you can have you know different algorithms, different representations, column store, store uh, text store, row store. Um, I ignored all that. I started with information compression. And what happened was awakening. When I was playing with numbers, right? Playing with bits, playing with, I had an awakening of how I could represent information that could be smaller than compression columns like gzip, but do it in a way that allowed me to do search and analytics on it. And that was like one, my head, my head started going, I, mean, I had to stop and go, okay, write this down, save it away. You know, because uh, I, I we're like, if, if the world comes to an end, someone's got to hear it. Someone's got to hear it. And that was about five years ago. And so what I do is I put those on the shelf. Okay, my next company, I'm going to take that. And so when I was ready to do my next company, I said, what technology have I solved and how would I apply it? So this new index technology or new representation, this compression, where would I apply it? And the idea was cloud object storage, where all this data is going. But cloud object storage is not a database back type storage, where like block storage. So the idea behind chaos was making information as small as possible and then providing analytical access to that. And unlike existing technologists now seven years old, there's walls, there's cliffs. So you start what they call partitioning or sharding information, little siloes of clusters to, to try to connect everything on. It adds time, it adds cost. So the idea is really the multiplicity of small, and that's what we focus on. That's what I started at Chaos, but build a whole product around it. Oh, that's so exciting. How did, so, and the reason why I ask is you do have the graph on your site that shows like the competitors and you could show how much data transfer you have. And so I, I was very excited to, to hear about that. So innovation in the compression of data, making it small and easier to search. That's very smart. Very first principles. I well, love it. So, so it's funny. So that was the first of the first principles, make data small. Then the next principle was it had to be a database index. It had to be distributed. It had to um, uh, have the ability to auto shard, if you will. So there's all these vectors that you say, here's all these things it has to do. And then you look at technology out there, could those do this? And they say, no, 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 no. And so you start playing, you, to be honest, you start just put, putting out a like pencil and pen and saying, what if I did this, what if I did this? And what happened was when I created this new representation, it came really small. But then when I saw what I did, I was like, wait a second, I can do high performance text search like a uh, uh, inverted index could do, as well as relational analytics, like a columns or a B tree technology would do. And I saw I could do it on one representation and make it wonderfully small. And I'm like, this is good. This is good. I need to do something with this. And again, having a team of people I've worked with for years that knew how to build distributed systems, 
Um, I raised my hand. I said, everyone, I think I got it. Let's go for it. And we started, you know, Chaos Search roughly, you know, four to five years ago. Now, so, you know, database take a long time. So we came to market last year, but we've been building this thing maybe even for a lifetime, right? Yeah. Well, it is a culmination of all your previous experience. So, man, I love it. I love the uh, constraints breeding creativity concept that is in there and how you describe it. I, I, I really enjoy the, the style and, and how you think. Awesome. Yeah. And the thing about it, you know, it's something that uh, we've talked about in, when we first started talking is these are things that you can hopefully people listen to this, this podcast and go, how could I apply that? My own job. How can I see a problem differently? And the whole point back to look the opposite direction. What do you see? If you're fighting something, don't do it that way. <laughs> it's really that simple. Take a break. Think about it differently. Look at every angle. And the hope is your unconscious gives you a, a glimmer of thought. And you try that thought out. And once you start pulling that thread, the awakenings start happening. And with chaos search, we have, I have a thing called chaos index that it's still giving gifts to me. When I created it about five years ago, I thought it was going to do just this. But then I started applying those core principles and it started doing that. And then this and then that. And I was like, holy cow, it's bigger than I even imagined. And that's been such the joy. It's like you talk about music. When you write that song and it's catchy, you're like, oh, there's something here. And it just flows. It flows. If you talk to a musician, within 30 seconds, they have the song, right? But they're waiting for that moment, right? They could be a year, could be two years. But when they have that moment, it just comes out on paper. And that's how this technology of chaos was. I, I felt it, I saw it, and it just, it was like just there. And I don't know if that was because of the unconscious was ready to go, all the, all the you know, puzzle pieces just came together because I've been thinking about it, but that's the joy and that's the fun. And then you find a, a group of talented uh, employees that love to do those type of problems, they get expired because as I do a whiteboard exercise of how it works, their minds are, are going, holy cow, how come we haven't done this before? I don't know. But we're what we are. It's like gifts. It's, it's it's another way I've been thinking about it. It reminds me of my rough understanding of blockchain, where you've got these nodes and they're just processing and processing and processing, and then they get a reward. They just <laughs> they just continually process, 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 and then they get a reward. And then it's like if you, yeah. When I when I decided um, there was a time in my life when I was not great, and so I made the decision to be great. And when I when I did that. I figured, okay, well, I'm not quite sure what to do, but these people who I'm studying, I like bought uh, all the books that I could find that were life stories of billionaires, like uh, Musk, Bezos, all these people. And I started studying them and understanding like how they did great things and all of that because life is short. And what, what I came up with after reading all of those things was, okay, they all have a really strong work ethic, right? And so, and then, and then, they have an interest, an area of interest, and they apply that strong work ethic to the area of interest, and then you add time to that uh, consistency, and then they get something great. And I was like, this is one of the most basic formulas I come up with. So I said, all right, I'm going to start running today, and I don't, I'm just going to, everything I do, I'm just going to do with like excellence, I'm clean my house, my room, and I just, and I was like, now what do I do? And I was like, all right, now I got to prove my life. Yeah. No, you know, I was the same awakening. It was, I was a uh, freshman or sophomore in high school. And, and I didn't know this because you, you come to an awareness, right? As you read books and you study people, they all do the exact same thing. Somebody said to me, it was my freshman year in high school. And I was a smart kid. I did math and science, you know, I didn't tell anybody to computer camp, didn't tell anybody in elementary school, I want to know. Um, but again, I just didn't, I didn't really put thought in. Someone said to me, you know, it just really changed my perspective. I would say changed my life. They said, your day is shot if you have one thing to do. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't understand what that means. And I reflected on that for a couple of days. And what it meant was that if I had something to do at say four o'clock in the afternoon, I'd sit around until that thing happened and I go do it. And the awakening was, I wasn't filling up my life with things. And so your point, make your bed, make the meal, make it the best meal all, all the time, mow the lawn. I mean, everything was like, just go consume do, try, and my whole personality changed where I just got excited about doing anything. 
and, and filling up my day with things to do. And it changed my whole viewpoint on the life. So to your point is you see these people that are just natural that way. Um, I say I was a natural, but didn't know how to be. Yeah, it's the power of information, right? It's you, 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 the awakening word is like the, the best word I found to describe it. It's like, I just like turned on, I came, I had more awareness and then it was, and then the, the goal became to, uh, how do I persist this feeling, um, constantly? Cause things that will throw you off or like you get sick, right. And you have to get back on the horse, right. Like after you've been knocked out for a couple of days, but when you improve the health and like your food, like I can cook really, really well now. And <laughs> You know, it's like, why, why couldn't, why shouldn't you be able to, you don't need a lot of money to like, no. to, to cook well. It's just, you need the knowledge and the experience and it to become a muscle. And it's like, now I, I mean, my daughter get this. So we ordered gluten-free pizza like a few weeks ago. Right. And, uh, she was like, she didn't want to eat it because she had never had something like out from order come into the house. Cause we just make all our food and she's like, it's not the same, you know, she's three. So she was just like, no. Uh, but it was, that made me feel good because for her to, to think that the food comes from the house, uh, to me is a pretty exciting thing. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, people say, why don't you get tired? Right. With all that energy you're putting to, why don't you get tired? And what I've learned through my experience is the worst experience is having that void of nothing to do. You get so used to, it's almost a, an addiction of information and trying that the moment you take a pause, you feel lonely, you feel uninspired, and you need to jump into something else. So like if something, you know, let's say, you know, you finish something, when you finish something, it's some of the saddest moments that I have. It's like, uh oh, I have no purpose, I need another goal. And you, it's the joy of having that next goal, that next goal, that next goal, it, it really fills your, your and, and people get, get addicted to it all around you. So. When you walk into a room, people are like, oh, Tom has a lot of energy because I want to hear what they're about. So tell me about yourself. What are you interested in? And then when they, they say, it, I'm like, well, that's cool. Let's talk about it. Well, let's, let's, let's discover any possibility within that. So it's not just about us. It's about them and the ability to listen and hopefully inspire them to, well, you should do this because that's so interesting. And uh, it, it's just a great way of seeing the world versus the classic saying half full or half empty. empty. You know, if, if you think it's impossible, They'll never do it. That is that is one. I, I fully agree. And, and you brought up a, a thought. Like, when do you think we're we're going to get back to meeting in person, like the business world? So you know, I struggle. I'm a people person. Um, uh, I though it's our own new reality, right? So I feel like I've gotten to know you really, really well within I don't know an hour. Um, yeah. And I find with high tech, because of all this remote uh, communication, we're used to it. Um, I hope sooner than later, to be frank, um, I think, you know, there's a, there's a thing I heard about, uh, social debt where we're paying it down, where the reason why things are working so well remotely is because we build up all this credit of social awareness. We know each other through our social awareness. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, like as an office space, I know everybody. So there's, there's not that extra time spent, um, I hope it's soon, but I, I love hearing about problems, you know, almost accidentally where you can help without having to reach out saying, how are you feeling today? <laughs> right. Versus like seeing somebody that maybe needs some help, but they didn't know how to uh, bring it up or they weren't sure they needed help. That's where I think this remote uh, communication is lacking. Um, but other side, people said they've been more productive than ever before. So it's hard for me to say when this will, what, what, uh, I'm in Boston. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, I haven't flown forever now. I feel like I don't go out anymore, but when you go outside, you feel alive. So I don't know, hopefully soon. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, probably a couple months before I, there will always be like a certain, I'm, I'm curious, when will the 80% be doing it? Right. Cause there'll be some people that I don't think we'll ever meet with people again. No. For <laughs> No, I talk to those people. There are people that will stay home for the rest of their life now. They were always hermits. They love it. They're good. I think I think human nature, by you hear this, right? Social interaction is how we become human. Um, and I think that's how we thrive. I think there are majority of people that 
that just needed to be healthy and mentally healthy, physical healthy. I know that I've packed on a few pounds because I was sitting around too much. I need to start getting out, start moving around. Yeah, I think it'll be a couple months and uh, until like we're doing the business thing in person. But I, I don't mind. I mean, we built this whole podcast and this whole company through video calls. And really? yeah, it worked out. It's working out pretty well. I, I say that like it was a smooth path, but <laughs> we are alive and, yeah. uh, you know, we're growing. We had some interns this uh, right now. So we've got like right. three or four interns, which is actually pretty cool. Very yeah. useful. Get different perspectives, get some fresh energy in the core team. Yeah. Well, that's, that's funny. Like, uh, and I'm assuming that are they remote as well or are mm-hmm. they? And so I brought on my first time a truly remote person when the pandemic was just happening and I wasn't sure. Now this turned out that I hired the right person and they just clicked in because I spent so much time. I, I, I bet on people. I don't bet on necessarily knowledge. Right. And uh, this person just, just clicked in, you know, wonderfully. And uh, you always can teach somebody something, you know, but do they know how to work in a team? Do they know how to communicate? Do they know how to reach out? Um, those are all key things that I'm learning myself. There's a new learning of how to you know, do this um, full time. And I think we're doing pretty good at it, but uh, you know, having a, a outdoor drink on the water, I like that too with friends. Yeah, I'm, and I think a couple of things. I think, first of all, this technology is obviously going to get better to where I believe in the future, it'll be like we're in the same room. I think that's gonna, I mean, we're not far off from, from those improvements. And uh, yeah, so that that is exciting. But I also like the new mix up because I come from a mostly remote background and I the benefit of being able to structure my day where I can like do my breakfast, go to the gym, get a work block done, go do this, get a work, I, I could keep moving versus being in a uh, stuck like in an office or whatever. That, that there's a lot of benefit. It's not right for everyone either. But if you if you know how to do it and you're comfortable with it and have experience and you you can manage your life and you're at like that type of level, then it's really just all about bringing value and achieving results. And if you can manage yourself, uh, then you're a very valuable player. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I think I think for those who are like us who just are so driven, you know, you don't need to have someone tell you, hey, to, to work, but you just naturally do it. My team is just that way. The one thing that I miss is whiteboarding. Yeah. That is that, you know, sure, you can draw on someone's screen, but having two people draw, three people draw on a whiteboard, the speed of information exchange is so high, so intense that not that you can't do it, there's a joy in that that I, I, I do miss. Yes. So I, when I used to talk a lot about the, the remote or in-person, I'm a, I'm a big fan of when you're solving ridiculously hard problems, be in-person with like a whiteboard. Because for me, that's just been like one of the easiest ways to do it. Keep in mind that 99% of my career, I've been remote. But being in, in like I would actually, when, when we're, oh, I can't speak right now. When we were working on it, I get excited. We were working on a project. I was flying out to California like one week a month because we were building something that had never been done before and it was difficult and we all needed, to, you know, we were all remote and we all met in one central area, we like rented a hotel and a conference room in a hotel and we would just burn through the most difficult parts of the idea over several months uh, and during that one week. And that was a very useful way to do something really difficult that was new, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, and also the joy, I just, you know, we, we talk about what can work. A lot of things can work. We can always make things work, but there's a joy in, in being in the same room with another human doing that work. And just like playing sports, right? You can play video games remotely and it's enjoyable. Um, but if you're on the field together, there's a whole different experience and that's a joy enjoyment too. going to the game, you know, yourself and watching it there versus on TV. These are, these are all things that have perspectives that one is not perfect on either side. How do we get people to experience chaos? So a lot of people are building their solutions or having companies in the cloud like Amazon. Um, Amazon's first service was cloud object storage S3. So if you're storing data in cloud service like S3, come to our website, you click free trial, you're up and running within minutes, and now you're doing analytics on your data. You own it, 
It's a five minute exercise. And the cool thing is you could go with us. Maybe you have one bit today to analyze, but you can scale the petabytes within, you know, a day, right? So that's a powerful thing with chaos. So come to our website, chaosearch.io and uh, sign up for a free trial. Um, we allow you to, to kick the tires, play with it, um, and, and really focus on your, your, your real side of the business, not the operations. That's exciting. Chaosearch.io, we'll put links in the show notes and to all the awesome content. You're a great writer, by the way. Thank uh, you. It's fantastic to, I've, you've got a new subscriber, a new fan of, of your content. So, so my uh, next, next blogger article is multiplicities of small. So I'll, I'll send a, a link to yourself, Joel. Yeah, please do. And we'll actually, whether it's a couple of weeks or whatever, whenever we do get it, we'll append it to the show notes so that people can reference it. Great. Awesome. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Great meeting you. Talk soon. Definitely. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.